Hello and welcome to Spool.ie's 21st podcast. This is Boric. Hello. And I'm Nigel. Do you remember turning 21? Yes. Was it good? Good fun, yeah. Had a nice party. Yeah, I, I seem to think so, yeah. I don't think we were all there. There's a couple of people, you you know. Yeah, I had two parties, kind of. had a house party. That was it, in Monaghan and in Dublin. Anyway, yeah. great. Uh, coming up today, we're in a distinct kind of back-to-school mode, because we're, we're at the start of September now, as we look back on the 1968 boarding school film, If, and Michelle Pfeiffer's Dangerous Minds, a.k.a. Gangster's Paradise. We'll also be reviewing the likes of Obvious Child, Million Dollar Arm and Lucy and all the usual other stuff that we kind of do. Here's a bit of music to get us kicked off. So that's the music uh, of Paul Simon. It's called Obvious Child, and it's from his album The Rhythm of the Saints. Not Graceland, as I thought. No, yeah, but it has it's, the, same it's the second. It's the album after Graceland, so he kind of still all has that in his system. Is it good as an album? Um, I didn't really know too many tracks of it because when I went home, I checked if it was on Graceland because it sounds very like it, but I didn't think it was. So yeah, it's obviously Graceland I bet he Part plays, Two. I bet he played it at all the Graceland commemorative gigs. As the well done, we've played the album now. We've to kind of fill another twenty minutes. Yeah, and the lads are here. The lads are here. Yeah, yeah the, the lads being Lady Smith, Backlund Baza. Um, yeah, so it's Obvious Child, which opened yesterday. It's directed by Gillian Robespierre, which is a fantastic surname. And it stars Jenny Slate, who plays Donna. People would recognise her as Mona Lisa from Parks and Rec. She's John Raffio's sister. Yeah. So she plays Donna and is a stand-up comedian and works in a bookstore. And at the very start of the film, she gets dumped by her boyfriend because he's cheating on her. Very quickly. Very quickly, which is good kind of setup. Like done. Him. Kind of a shitty breakup. Like, he dumps her in a, a toilet. It's kind of funny. Um, a mu- uh, yeah, a multi... Uh Gender. Unisex. That word? Unisex. Yeah. yeah. Very New York. And it's set in Williamsburg, which they alluded to at one point. Um, yeah, so she gets dumped and he's having an affair with one of her best friends. That kind of sends her into a bit of a tailspin. And after she has another meltdown on stage where she's still drunk and gives out abuse, she meets this guy in a bar called Max, who is played by Jake Lacey. I didn't know him from anything. He plays Pete in the American office. Ah... But I didn't know. He he's looks a like he's beefy sh- face. Yeah, he's he should have been Superman in a film, or he may be at one point. He's that kind of a face. He's also very good. So the two of them hook up, and she becomes pregnant as a result, and wants to have an abortion. So that's kind of the whole premise of the film. It's like it is a romantic comedy in one regard, and then it has this underlying story of abortion. It deals with all the issues of it. It's not done in a really, you know. Um, Weary Drake or four weeks, yeah. three. It's just like this four is four months, a nor- three weeks, two days. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a normal. It's not melodramatic, but it still is very touching and it's trying to make its point. It makes it very well. Does it in a very real way though? As in, this is an issue. There is a thing I can do. I'm going to consider it mm. and see what happens. You know, which is good because too often that word even when you're watching the trailer because I kind of roughly knew what the film was about and I was like oh will they say the A word in the trailer and they do and it's just a thing and yeah. it's good and Gabby Hoffman is in it as well she plays her friend I wondered if they were sisters at one point but they look very similar but they're not 
She's her friend. She plays Ooh. Nelly, and people would know her as Adam's sister from Girls. Adam's crazy sister from Girls with yeah. the mono brow. Yeah, um, it's a bit of a Frida something. Uh, Frida Kahlo, doesn't yeah. it? Um, but no, it's brilliant. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it's very funny, very honest. All her stand-up comedy is brilliant. Um, she's not a comedian from what I could see. She is just an actress. She, I think she's one of these people who's come through improv and stuff. Like, she was on... I'd forgotten this, even though I watched the whole season. She was on Saturday Night Live back in 2009 for a year, but didn't... Only did it for a year, so okay. wouldn't have gotten much... Or didn't get any recurring characters oh, or anything. Really? And then, yeah, she, like, bored to death and all these sort of things. She did would a couple remind of episodes, maybe of so. Sarah Silverman in one yeah. aspect, but maybe not as kind of followed my third just What age do you think she is? 27. She's 32. She looks good for 32. Oh, cool. Well done, Jenny, if you're listening. I felt kind of old when I was watching the film because her mother gives out to her at one point about not having her life together or anything. She's like, you're nearly 30. I was like, oh, I'm nearly 30. And then she goes, I'm many years off being 30. And I was like, oh, she's probably yeah. only 26 or something. But that's nice that she's 32. Cool. Yeah, it's kind of the Frances Ha kind of thing of that same age, that same area of just kind of coasting through life a little bit. and. Mm. It was hard to know, like, if she could really see where, or see if any future in the comedy, uh, but yeah, you know, clearly the bookshop was the yeah the the. But we won't obviously give away the, how it the plays film, out, but you know, because you are kind of I wonder what's going to happen here, but it's very nice and it's well resolved, and, and it's, it's not too Hollywood, but it's also a nice sort of. It story, has enough, so. like you would. You, I think the only criticism you could have of it, I don't have it of it, but people could be like, well, it's very movie because like, a lot of stuff happens formulaically in some regards. Like People turn up at exactly the right moment and it's a bit kind of, all oh, right, okay, it's a bit uh, too yeah. fakey, but that didn't bother me because you're like, look, it's a film and it's a romantic comedy. And, you know. Yeah, an abortion comedy. A romantic abortion comedy. Yeah. So. The great use of the song, Obvious Childland as well. That's a lovely scene. Yeah. Have you got a scene from it to play? Yeah, we'll have a scene. This is where... Um, the main characters are all kind of sitting around having dinner and discussing Jenny is discussing who plays Donna whether or not she should tell Max I can't believe he walked into the store that's a sign and that would be a sign saying like that I'm the president of Ox and that he and I should go and start our beautiful life together you know I'm not a straight guy oh what <sighs> but my guess is that most of them would hate that gift what? You're saying that <laughs> a guy doesn't want a drunk pregnant girl in a box? Uh, if you're a serial killer. Maybe you want to tell him. No, why? Why? You don't owe him anything. You don't even know this guy. Maybe he just deserves to know that like this happened, that I'm not a psycho and I'm going to get an abortion. You know, if I got someone pregnant, I would want to know. If you got someone pregnant, I would also want to know. Probably every newspaper would want to know because all of a sudden some dude's mouth would be pregnant. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, cool. So that was out on Friday. Yeah, and no, probably it's, it's in it's in a couple of different cinemas as well. This uh, played at Galway, and our school contributor uh, Mick McGovern gave it five. It doesn't oh, get five very often, yeah. and um, so it's done very well, and it's got great reviews on that. Um, hopefully, it'll kind of it'll do well for them, and kind of. Give Jenny Slade a bit of uh, yeah, bit of a profile. Uh, next up, another film that came out this week, which I've seen but you haven't, uh, Million Dollar Arm, which is a film that I saw uh, a little while ago and completely forgot about, and then it just sort of showed up. So that means it's not overly memorable. But uh, anyway, I'll try to remember some stuff about it. Uh, it should be kind of pitched as Moneyball meets Slumdog Millionaire, which in your head you're like, that's very impressive. But yeah. uh, the film tells the story of baseball pitchers Rinku Singh and Dinesh Patel, who are Indian, and they were discovered by 
on an American TV show that traveled to India to try and find some people. So kind of an X Factory style thing for throwing a baseball. It's all very silly, but it's vaguely based on a true story. Um, John Hamm is J.B. Bernstein, the guy, and he's uh, pretty. He's pretty good because he doesn't really do many lead roles. Um, in film, but he's going to have to because Don Draper's lovely suit is going to have to be hung up now. He's um, rocking a beard a lot at the moment. He is. Did you see him from the stuff? Emmys? No. He didn't win again. Oh. I can't remember. I think he's been nominated for seven maybe consecutive ele- years that he's been eligible and has never won. So maybe it's kind of a running a, joke. A Lord of the Rings thing. Well, they're going to wait. Yeah, they'll have next year for yeah. the last run. And they did it like Breaking Bad was the one this week that got completely honoured. And yeah. Brian Cranston and uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus from Veep as well had a... Did it, it was good. Look it up on YouTube, the bit. But um, anyway, I have a clip from Million Dollar Arm before. You see, we've already forgotten that we're meant to be talking about Million Dollar Arm. It's kinda, yeah. Anyway, here's a clip. This is where they're kind of chatting about the concept of travelling to India and it's all good. So blah, blah, blah. If we can deliver to Major League Baseball its first Indian ball player, that's a billion new fans. What do a billion new fans need? Billion hats, billion t-shirts. And you want to set this up like it's a talent contest. Exactly. That will ensure maximum exposure of talent to press. See, once we go over there and find these guys, we bring them back here, we train them in L.A., then we get them signed with a professional franchise. What's your timeline? Two years. Can you do it in one? Sure. Um, so is John Hamm the only actor in it? Uh, no, it's also uh, Alan Arkin is in there as a kind of a baseball scout. And he's kind of funny doing his Stu- is Alan he just Arkin doing his thing. Alan Arkin, like, yeah. You know, the thing he's done for the last kind of six years. So and then the comedian guy who's in Silicon Valley and also in the Google film that came out last year that me and producer Colin saw and unfortunately I can't remember his name he's hilarious okay. um, I have it written down somewhere will you just uh, just do some humming while I kind of so Moneyball was kind of very mathematic and you know here's the numbers ins and out but something like um, Field of Dreams is very emotional and gets to the real heart of baseball and is a story so where does this kind of slot in? It tries to do yeah it's very American and very kind of like oh the ultimate thing for these kids would be if they could come to America and play you know be be selected to train and we'll give them some money and everything and it kind of makes because you know the way films when they travel to India usually like the Darjeeling Limited they're incredibly Right, we'll completely immerse ourselves and allow it to wash over us completely slumdog as well. Whereas with this, it feels like they're just traveling there going, oh, this is pretty, but let's get the hell back to America. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty good, um, like as a lighthearted thing to watch, but you won't remember anything about it after. But a um, bit of trivia from it is that there's a guy who runs the baseball team who gives them all the money, who the character's name is Chang, and it's played by an actor, Tsi Ma, Chinese guy, who plays Chang in 24 who came back in the last season of 24. All right. But so, not Chang from Community. Uh, no, no. Okay. Damn. But I just thought that was funny. I was like, oh, there's Chang from 24. Oh, his name is Chang. Oh, that's pretty pretty daft. Um, the g- comedian guy um, is uh, Kumal Nanjiani, and um, he's in uh, The Five-Year Engagement. You'd know his face. He's very funny. And uh, if you watched the TV show Silicon Valley, like I told you to, then you would know him. He's probably the best thing in it. Okay. It was also nominated for an Emmy. Um, it's only six episodes. Come on, watch it. Like, you know? Yeah, but I, it hasn't aired on Trustial TV over here it's yet. It's been on HBO. I, tra- I travelled to America and subscribed to All HBO right. Go and was able to legally watch Silicon Valley. Cool. When I go to America next week, I'll, I'll watch all six episodes. 
Good man. Okay, so enough. Um, so that was pretty mediocre, and I will go to. Mid- yeah, so it gets yeah. about two, two and a half, maybe three. Yeah, two and a half minutes out of five. Three if you're feeling happy about it. Perfectly watchable. Okay. Perfectly nice. So next, uh, that was out this month, uh, was Mood Indigo, the latest Michelle Gondry whimsy fest. Uh, producer Colin also saw this, actually. Um, yeah, so it's a pretty basic love story in story words that Colin, who's played by Roman Juris, and Chloe, who's played by Audrey Tattoo. A.K.A. Uh, Amelie. Yeah. Um, and they just fall in love and it's kind of a love story about the two of them she then develops an illness whereby a flower is growing in her lung and there's not really any cure for it so her husband Colin tries to find all these cures to help her and solve it and whatever and it's kind of trying to figure out will it work but along the way you have the normal Michelle Gondry absolute insanity Um, Colin is really rich you never understand why and he's loads of money, so he has an in-house butler who cooks all the meals for him. Nice. And they're all... There's loads of, like, stop-motion animation and animation in the film with the food coming to life and rolling around. It's almost like Wallace and Gromit is mixed in there as well. So it's, like, kind of clay animation. Um, loads of crazy dances. Then his best friend as well is obsessed by some author and he has to buy everything by this author. So it's kind of... It's it's good. It's very head wrecking. Like it's only ninety minutes, and I realized when I was doing a bit of research for it that it's it's originally two hours and ten minutes long, but there was heavily a cut chopped down. And I was kind of like, Christ, you you cut forty minutes out of this. So that kind of when you hear stuff like that, it leads you to think: Is this just kind of self indulgence? You know that they were able to cut that amount out of it because I couldn't have handled any more after ninety minutes. Everyone said this that like you go in, yeah. And then you leave. Uh, yeah, it's quite it's it's quite depressing, and you kind of I, I think I like films sometimes that are bleak and whatever. But then you come out and be like, oh, not I when just, they pretend to not. I just wished it had a happy ever ending after. But no, that's given away in the trailer, obviously. But they can't, and it's so up and crazy to start, and then it's it's quite a, a flip tale. So I'd be curious then, now that I have seen it, to see what those other forty minutes are. But I'd say it's just more madness and doesn't really have any relevance to the plot. Yeah. Like, I can't see it have a different ending or whatever, you know. Like, it's entertaining enough if you know... But, like, you know what to expect from Michelle Gondry, like he did um, Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind, Be Kind, Rewind. Rewind and all the... The Science Sleep, all those kind of... And all the best White Stripes videos yeah. as well. So, you know what to expect. So, if you're a fan of his, you'll enjoy this film. If you're not, you won't. What yeah. age do you think Gondry is? Uh, 44. 51. Ah. I'm on all the age trivia this Looking evening. well. Um, so yeah, it's it's like three out of five, not one to watch on the telly if you want. Yeah, once you get those subtitles subtitles downloaded properly. Um, speaking of films that are good and short, um, Lucy came out uh, this month as well or this past Week month, or two. and um, it is eighty nine minutes, including the credits, and packs so much in Perfect. in that time. I think it's its ultimate. So this is a film that I was a bit disappointed with initially, and then thought about it a bit more, and I was like, oh, it's actually kind of good, was it? Or kind of like daft as a brush completely um, bonkers um, and it's sort of the story it's a sci-fi film about a woman who gets some drugs some blue methy kind of synthetic drugs CH4 CH or something is it mm. um, sewn into her stomach in Taiwan and uh, they leak when she gets kind of beaten 
which I, I quite like that. I was like, why are they kind of punching it? And then you're like, oh, that's how all that worked. They leak out and gradually they unleash these uh, new powers that kind of increase her ability to do things um, that were previously thought impossible. Yeah, it's kind of playing on that fact that humans only use 10% of their brain. Yeah, which isn't a fact, but we kind yeah. of... We like to say it. Is. Yeah, it suits the the narrative of this. So then film. it kind of because they actually put it up and it's like twenty four percent, and yeah. she's like, oh, she can kind of read minds and see telephone signals and all yeah. that. So, um, reminded it's, me a little bit. I'm not sure if you saw Transcendence earlier in the year, but that was so disappointing. The Wally Fister film about Johnny Depp being in a computer and kind of taking over, um, and then also there's t- so many little nods to Under the Skin. Which also has just Scarlett from Hansen. yeah, Scarlett Hansen's performance so, in one way. Yeah, and it's like, but even those sequence, like little scenes, like little anim- sequences that kind of look really like that world too. And the two will be fun yeah. to kind of look back. She's currently in the lead for our Woman of the Year awards. I'm not yeah. sure. Uh, She's fantastic in this, her. and it shows a great actress. I think because. It looks very simple what she's doing, but I think she's so good at it that she makes it look very easy. It's just kind of playing that awkward, slightly on edge, trying to figure everything out uh, performance. But yeah, I thought it was really good. It's, it is very daft, but I kind of went along with the the theory and it, it's interesting. And the shortness is great for it. And the action, like from the trailer, I thought it would be, it's good because it doesn't give away a whole pile bar the basic stuff I thought it'd be once she gets kicked in the stomach and takes the drugs it would be a revenge thing almost that's where she just first, that's the first 45 minutes you know, and where then she goes and tracks him down but then it totally changes Kilter and becomes this whole other thing and it's a great quick um, setup at the start where it's just like bang and then you're in and yeah the same thing within as 10 in, minutes you're like yep. in Obvious Child we know where we are you know? yeah. you're like okay she's been broken up he's been shot cool she now oh, yeah. cool bang 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 and very reminiscent of I'd be interested to see if you didn't know if it was Luke Besson and then you saw some of the way the action set up it was very lifted from Leon yeah I was like oh I have to watch Leon I'm again I'm still on the three and a half stars buzz and I think that's fair enough that or yeah that's Donald, fair enough Donald Clark of the Irish Times gave it maybe four if not five or something but he finished it with a very clever line um, of I love Lucy at the end and I was like cool um, can I read this thing that um, I printed out that this is what is on the first page of the script Okay. that Luke Besson script so this film is extremely visual it is difficult to describe in words without running the risk of losing or boring the reader I've come up with a simplified summary therefore like a reader's guide which will conjure up the images in as few words as possible bullet point one the beginning is Leon, the professional. That's his film. Bullet point two. The middle is Inception. Bullet point three. The end is 2001, A Space Odyssey. Oh, brilliant. Don't interpret this as pretension on my part. Merely a visual, emotional and philosophical point of reference. So he knows, he knew what he was doing at the end. Like it, that last 15 minutes. And the ending is also incredibly un-Hollywood. And it, the fact that it all is so short makes it quite... Yeah. interesting like it's it's still very daft and stupid and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense well I think the central think premise around sense. time you're kind of like yeah you can get on board with that but yeah. when I was looking up a thing his last film was it Luke Besson oh no I was, I'm getting confused now yeah but um, it's kind of all I think you can kind of go on board with it and it's just like yeah if you saw it when you were young if you saw this when you were 16 you'd probably think it's amazing yeah, and it's better than the Bradley Cooper Limitless film yeah, that we thought it was better. meant to be. I kind like of that rip off of, that, Yeah, that is just like we'll give him some drugs. Yeah. Um, but equally, that, I did like that that was on TV. That was on TV3 the day before Lucy came out. So there's someone in these TV stations is paying a bit of attention, putting this kind of stuff on. 
Um, Grant, anything else? That can, I guess the other one that was sort of big, uh, I don't think you've got to see it yet, is Two Days and One Night. Uh, the Dardenne Brothers film that came out last week. It has Marion Cotillard as a woman who works in a solar panel factory who suffers from depression and is let go. They do a vote. I really like this. Um, I think they should do it in Ireland where it's like, if you want your bonus, we're going to have to let someone go. Um, do you think we should let uh, producer Colin go? We'll have a vote. And if, if the majority say yes, then he loses his job, but you guys get your Christmas bonus. Yeah, two, two against one. Sorry, producer Colin. Um, so it's incredibly simple narrative, like goes from A to B. She has 16 employees. She has about 48, well, she's two days and one night to get to see these people to try and tell them of her plight and that she needs it and she's better. So it nods a bit to kind of, you know, people's perceptions of mental health and what 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 our securities are from work. You know, if you have why we need to work and what would happen if you lose your job and you've all this financy stuff and incredibly simple but that's kind of their style like they did um l'enfant that won the palm d'or in 2005 and that was just kind of about a kid in in school and then there was the kid with the bike uh, a couple of years ago as well that was about a kid with a bike and um yeah it's a just a nice sort of simple thing i didn't get it got incredibly positive reviews from a lot of people but i didn't get completely bowled over by it like it's a bit too straightforward in many ways but um well worth checking out seems like a very simple story or something very yeah oh it's more about just it's it's incredibly i'm not sure you can read into it so much about what it signifies about like our how we view work as our like our kind of meaning and purpose and you need a purpose if you don't if you're told that you're if it's one thing if you want to give up work but that's your call but if someone says we're going to take your work away from you then how do you feel about that you know and your whole family then gets wrecked and um yeah kind of lays on the metaphors a little bit deep and there's a there's one or two close there's a closing line in it that you might kind of just groan at but uh well worth uh kind of checking out that came out a week ago and i still think um it's knocking around um anyway yeah. cool have you got a movie moment of the month i have yes no i do i oh. was freaking out there there was like oh no it's from next month or something but it's not because it's still this month uh, it's from obvious child it's the dance scene uh, where they have a dance to obvious child because it's lovely and you kind of while it is has this big statement in one way it is a romantic comedy it's about a love story between two people and i think it's that can be quite hard to capture on film like comedy can it can kind of fall flat in your face but i think the director is brilliantly captured yeah yeah it's a lovely scene between the two of them so that's my scene of the month yeah um i have two maybe i'm not sure one would be where lucy meets a monkey if you've seen lucy and you know what that is then yeah not a great monkey because we after dawn of the planet of the apes looks terrible amazing monkeys yeah i think i heard somewhere it's some dude in a suit and um there's the 2001 reference yeah well maybe (laughs) you know um, but the other one was the bit in the Inbetweeners 2 when the poo came down the slide behind him. Inbetweeners 2 is pretty daft and forget we won't remember it much but um, there's a few cheap laughs for the, the, the middle the hours great. the boy. start is terrible and the end is terrible but yeah. there's like two good Inbetweener episodes in the yeah. middle for the 15 year old boy and all of us poo coming down the slide because we all have a bit of irritable bowel syndrome from time to time you know a lot of fart and poo jokes in Obvious Child yeah. which was enjoyable very poo themed kind of month you know mm-hmm. uh, Great. Um, I guess there's only one man who can maybe bring us into the next section. That man is Coolio. <laughs> you want to tell me what this is all about? 
As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long that... What a classic. Yeah. Producer Colin, we had to literally pull him down from the ceiling. He's dancing <laughs> on the ceiling there to Coolio. Um, so that is the signature song from Dangerous Minds. And we last month we kind of said that we would look at two films. We're going to make it a regular thing. Where we look it's at regular, yeah. yeah. Look at one or two, hopefully. yeah. Like two films and have a theme. So our theme was education because September I'm back to school. And we picked Dangerous Minds and If... Dangerous Mind was the one where like everybody knows the song and has seen the film and it's kind of like oh yeah but we learned as we watched the film that it's kind of shit oh absolutely it, like yeah. it's quite a bad film which I hadn't realised you're watching it and it's very cheesy the music is I would watch it's this all movie semi softcore porn music that's going in it in the late 90s maybe like when yeah. you should be doing junior start study I'd say it's when yeah. and I couldn't remember much so if you haven't a clue what it's about um, Michelle Pfeiffer plays Luanne Johnson who's an ex uh, Navy Marine, or yeah, a US Marshal, one of them. A she Marine. Was a Marine. Yeah. And I'm she's, a Marine. She's come out of the service and she wants a teaching job because she was doing that before. And she is taken into the school to teach what, what seems to be the LCA version of uh, the school. It's this class that's kind of all from the wrong side of the tracks, kind of poor. Uh, minorities and no one really cares about them but she decides she's going to make a difference and try Obviously and get Hispanic them. kind of minorities and African American mm. there wasn't much so then it's just kind of her trying to reach the kids and that kind of classic you know dead poet society teacher making a difference and everything no one else is really in it like um, there's the character who plays Ra- Raul Ronaldo Santiago he went on to start in Con Air in different films he's the face you'd recognise most I would think yeah and then Wade Dominguez plays Emilio and he's one of the main characters he looks like um, Dean Cain or John Travolta from uh, Grease or Saturday Night yeah he's kind of that kind of a vibe um, and I was doing some research and he's dead he died in 1998 at the age of 32 he died oh. of respiratory failure because it was interesting when I was going through IMDB and you look at the, the, the actors in it all their screenshots or all their pics are from then. from Dangerous Minds no one really went on to do anything else yeah the principal in it you'll know you might recognise from like TV shows yeah Law and Order, Law and Order kind of plays Flash Forward yeah. all these classics uh, the director was John Smith he didn't really do anything else and sounds like a, we were uh, looking, an alias doesn't it yeah we were looking at the start with Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer and it was like a partner, producing partner, and we we're like, "What happened to Don Simpson? He died uh, the year after in 1996." Canadian from Bruckheimer. Yeah. So um, did they do everything together? Pretty much, like Top Gun, oh. Flashdance, Beverly Hills Cop, and um, yeah, he died of natural causes. They said there was no foul play or any oh, drugs. Yeah. Uh, it was based on a book called "My Posse Don't Do Homework." Is what that it was, was a book. Then. Remember that popped up on screen. And I was like, "Is that like yeah. a, an article?" That's what it's based on. Oh, it's very kind of. No, I don't no know if you could even yeah. look back in it affectionately. It's just kind of very cringy and it's over dramatic. Michelle Pfeiffer can't really act in this film. It's really noticeable. We have a clip here. We'll play a quick clip and then have a talk about it afterwards. I gave you your money. What are you talking about, Holmes? Are you calling me a liar? What do you think? I'm fucking stupid. Yo, man, no, don't get loud, motherfucker. Okay, 
you are stronger than these two put together. And you Bullshit, know it. man. He Bustle. wishes, man. You could all be expelled if I report this to the office, and you know that. If you give me your word that it ends here, I'll forget it. Is it over? Yeah. How about you? Yes, Simon. Absolutely. So there she's kind of breaking up the fight between Raul and Emilio and the whole way through the scene she keeps touching her hair and she's really exasperated and she really cares about the kids and it's just like oh, I don't care who cares you know but at least it's quite short as well you know and there's loads of scenes where it's just kind of this bullshit thing of the teacher driving around going to see the class because you know when you were sick for a day your teacher would come around and drive out to the house and see if you're okay but you don't because it never happened and it never does happen and should she not have been in school teaching the other kids instead of driving around trying to rag up, you know, round up these four kids? Yeah, it did follow an entire year, though, right? Which narratively, they only alluded to that at the end. And you're like, all right, it just feels like this is a week. Like no one seems yeah. to have grown um, at all Yeah, in it. They calmed down a bit. Is that the whole thing? So the best thing about it was Dylan the song. References. Yeah, and Dylan Thomas. Yeah, you real. We kind of realized when we were watching. It was like, oh, you know, because sometimes artists are very like, no, you can't have my song, and you can't have it for film. Like the Beatles, I think and Michael Jackson very famously won't give their music to any mm. films. Bob Dylan would give the anything back in the day. Yeah, he probably had a soft spot for, or a hard one for Michelle Pfeiffer. Anyway, so um, yeah, Dangerous Minds. I don't know. Maybe he's gonna email and give out abuse, and and think it's the best film ever made. But I sincerely doubt it. Yeah, David Turpin was a fan. He told us on Twitter. Well, not really. No, he, he more so it's joke. like no. Yeah. I'm scared. I watch Scarface. And uh, so we'll move swiftly on to if yeah, we watched both of these in a double bill. double header, spool double biddle last night, which was which was kind of fun. We watched them back to back. We watched if first. We thought it was the more serious and demanded our attention. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's directed by Lindsay Anderson, and when I was kind of looking up, it's kind of the first of a semi-trilogy. Lindsay being a man, incidentally, like the British film industry wouldn't have given yes. a job like that to a woman. Not in the, in 60s. the 60s. no way. Set in 68, filmed in 68, so it's kind of a loose trilogy of If, Oh Lucky Man, and Britannia Hospital, and it um, if was Malcolm McDowell's first film and in the three films he plays a character called Mick Travis now they're not the same person because it's widely thought at the end of these killed at the start of if or at the end of if and um, yeah it's set in a kind of stuffy private school in England and really stuffy yeah they're like six years our equivalent of six years they're seniors and it comes up in the credits that Malcolm McDowell and his friends they're all the crusaders and there's other characters in the films who are called whips. They're the authority, but they're the same age as the guys. They're like prefects, you know, but they kind of keep them in tow and almost act like teachers for the most part. Which is a part. very weird thing when suddenly, like we had that kind of in school, and suddenly your your peers yeah. are being told well, yeah, that we they had have a bit prefects, of power. Like. Yeah, but they didn't, you know, can you? No. And we had that role in, of a teacher. In, in grammar school, it was, it was tough, you know. It was different times. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really good. Um, There's no rape in the film. No, yeah. I was very surprised. There's a sentence I didn't <laughs> think I'd be using today. Yeah, but it's kind but of that. it was nice because you felt there was going to be some mm, nasty scenes yeah. of abuse and that. But they, it's Especially on the younger boys. In a, yeah. in a it's very homoerotic. And there's kind of like a very heavily insinuated relationship between like a... A senior, a, 16, and a, a senior and a junior that's yeah. not really hidden away in any form. Um, 
so it's kind of Mick Travis's character played by Malcolm McDowell is a classic anti-hero he's kind of rebelling against everything that the school stands for even and Britishness even the yeah eight years before the punk nine years yeah. before punk kind of kicked off but. kicked off and it has that kind of nihilistic you know destroy everything like and it's very surreal there's a lot of s- surreal elements to it because towards the end when they actually attack the school Malcolm and his friends um there's knights in it it's it's on the day when all the parents come into the school but there's lads going around in like knights uniforms all the clergy are very over the top dressed they're all in their full regalia mm. and it kind of is a military school, school well. in like some regard a, like the fca kind of buzz yeah um there's a lot of scenes in it as well that go into black and white like we were watching it and i was aware of some of it in black and white but it comes out of nowhere and we were trying to figure out why isn't black and white is this a symbol thing is it like you know is the black and white all fantasy but the actual the real reason was that the cameraman found it impossible to shoot in colour any of the scenes in the church because there was too much natural light coming in and it was messing up the print so he was like look we have to film this in black and white so they filmed it in black and white and then the director was like oh it looks kind of cool I'm just randomly (laughs) going to put some other scenes in black and white to kind of mess with people's heads and break up the colour and you know so it was no initial thing. It was just like they couldn't film in color. Bizarre. Yeah. It was really jarring though at first. Cause like, what what happened here now? Yeah. Like, is there a problem with the electricity or the TV or? Yeah. Mm. So it's a real kind of like railing against everything in society. You know, if you saw it when you were a bit younger, I think you'd find it. You'd identify a lot with it. Yeah. And from what I can work out, I think maybe made at exactly the same time as Bonnie and Clyde, which was the film that kind of kick-started a whole new generation uh, new generational kind of attitude in America and yeah. it's just coincidental that this happened uh, in England did it do well with audiences so kind of hard to know it was it was financed by Paramount and Warner Brothers like no English people would give it any money once they read the script yeah. and they kind of hated it it stunk they were like no we, we don't want this but yeah. uh, Barbarella was a massive failure for the film in Paramount at the time so they had to pull F out and had to release it, but it came quite a, a hit with audiences and critical acclaim. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got it? uh, c- the captain from Dad's Army. <laughs> yeah, he's like the, he's the only recognisable face with, who actually went on, even though everyone's like, I think they might have been in the bill, were they? Yeah, did they go on? That guy might have been in EastEnders for a couple of episodes, but so when they were when he was writing the script, it was the same time that the riots broke out in Paris and the Sorbonne and in Colombia in New York. But he kind of maintains that didn't influence him too much. And another small bit of nudity, nudity, Freudian slip, uh, trivia, is that it was the first time that there was full frontal nudity from a woman in a film. Christine Noonan plays a waitress in it and has an affair or kind of like a, a dalliance with Malcolm McDowell. There you go. Right. It it's very trippy. You watch it for the first five minutes, you're like, this is a pretty straight-laced. We'll kind of... This yeah. is kind of like a... You know, feels like you're watching a real classic British drama like Oliver or some sort of thing like that. And then all of a sudden goes a little bit wacky, but well worth kind of watching. The best bit, I thought, or the most... One of the most surreal bits is when you think they have killed... And they may have, I don't know, the, the priest, the vicar. Mm. and they're in the principal's office and the principal's given out to them and he's like I want you to apologise to the vicar and he walks around and you think he's been sitting in a chair the whole time behind but he pulls open a big drawer and the vicar is in the drawer and he comes out of it and shakes hands with all the lads and then he's pushed back into the drawer Yeah. so yeah it's very good it's much more enjoyable than uh, Dangerous Minds 
Oh, dude. I don't think anyone has ever compared these two yeah. films. Ever. Until now. And now. But they, what's interesting by Fluke, I think, is that this one also covers one academic year, doesn't it? Or is it just one term? You would I think l- it was a, a year, because like, yeah. they were wrapping up at the end. And a lot of people were kind of making the comment that when the youth in If revolts and kind of attacks the school, they're attacked with equal force and much more vigor by the establishment and it's kind of that thing that you know it was doomed to fail you're never going to make a change it's kind of saying that you know everybody fought tooth and nail who was on the lower you know who's being attacked they fought back with much bigger firepower and that when the if comes up at the end in credits in red that's what make a lot of people think that Malcolm McDowell's killed on top of the roof right do we have a clip from this yeah there's a pretty good clip actually this is an interaction when the whips are trying to bring the crusaders uh, into tow. Good evening. I imagine you know why you're here. No? For being a nuisance. A general nuisance in the house. What do you mean, being a nuisance? What have we done? Done? It's your general attitude. You know exactly what I mean. Attitude? And we've decided to beat you for it. Stand up properly when the head of house addresses you. There's something indecent about you, Travis. The way you slouch about. You think we don't notice you with your hands in your pockets. The way you just sit there looking at everyone. You three have become a danger to the morale of the whole house. You can take that cheap little grin off your mouth. I serve the nation. You haven't the slightest idea what it means, have you? To you, it's just one bloody joke. Yeah, so there you have the clip. I tried to look up online, but couldn't really find. It's the kind of thing where I would imagine it was banned in Ireland. It came out in 68. I think it came out in 70. It was actually released, maybe. Or, like, that was its alleged release date. But it'd be interesting to know if it was, or it was screened fully. Very good. Well worth. Enjoyable watch with fool number three, I think that was. Yeah. We're going to take change tact a little bit. Uh, the Stranger Than Fiction festival is on in the IFI on the 25th of September um, for four days and there's lots of documentaries it's an annual thing, it's really good, it's pretty much about the only um, focus that we have you'll see, you know, documentary programs popping up in the bigger festivals around Ireland but this is the only dedicated one so we have about maybe a dozen new and uh, exciting documentaries coming up but this is the my, my kind of pick of the bunch um, I've already seen it, Life Itself the Roger Ebert documentary, Roger Ebert being the famous critic that everyone likes, but um, here's a couple of outtakes from him and Gene Siskel where you're actually like, uh, oh, they kind of hate each other. So this is pretty much the parallel with myself and Pork. We're actually enemies and we're very competitive and despise each other. So here, here's a few outtakes. Enjoy these. Two thrillers this week on Siskel and Ebert. First, we'll review Michael Caine and Pierce Brosnan in The Fourth Protocol. And then Gene Hackman and Kevin Costner star in No Way Out. And we have a third thriller, too, if you're interested. What do you mean, two thrillers? They left out the big easy. How about, no, let's, let's, why does this always have to be lockstep? How about something like this? It's thriller week on Siskel and Ebert, and we've got three big ones. And then three one-liners. They made Dennis, the, uh, Dennis Quaid in the big easy. Why don't Michael we Caine it? in the fourth protocol. So-and-so in No Way Out. That's a better promo. Okay. Ready? I guess you're going to do it. You have to rewrite it, don't we? Because you can't. Oh no, let's. You can't add uh, Gene. Let can we? Can we do for the last week and when next week we'll do it? Uh, next year we'll we do it next year. No, every week counts. Let him, you read it then. You add lib it. I'll do nothing. Let him do whatever he wants. This is going to be today's. That's theme. why I think we ought to write it into the. Uh, no, let him do it. Why don't we
It's Thriller Week on Cisco Niebert in the Movies, and we've got three new ones. Got to have energy up and the movies that, out. Please, Why don't you read both parts? I'd like to. Here we go. Get your I energy know that. up, please. Please get your energy up. It's Thriller Week on Cisco Niebert in the Movies, and we've got three new ones. Dennis Quaid in The Big Easy, Michael Caine in The Fourth Protocol, and Kevin Costner and Gene Hackman in No Way Out. Sound a little excited, Gene. Sound less excited, Roger. That's why we're redoing it, because of what you did. Um, yeah, so Life Itself is playing on the 28th of uh, September at 4pm, and um, this is a crowd-funded kind of thing. And um, The day before that, on the 27th of September, is my pick. It's called It Came From Connemara. And it's um, unknown to me as well. Roger Corman, the kind of famous uh, B-movie producer and director, seemingly set up a studio in Connemara back in the 90s, in the mid-1990s. So Brian Redden has made a documentary about this and he will also be taking part in a Q&A. So that's on the 27th of September. Kind of should be interesting. Yeah. It's only 60 minutes. Yeah. So is it made for telly? Maybe. But everything looks better on a big screen. Yeah. Um, no, it's good. The other one that kind of lo- picks out on the Friday, they've got Blood Fruit, which is a documentary that won the Best Documentary Award at the Galway Film Club, which is about the people, the Dunn stores, workers who um, seemingly solved apartheid, I think, in the mid-80s. Fact. Thanks very much. So that's playing on the Friday. That's meant to be fantastic. And the other one that caught my eye um, is the Whitey Bulger kind of um, documentary from... Uh, Joe Berlinger, who did uh, some of the Paradise Lost documentaries. Oh, right. So um, that's two hours and it's playing on the Friday as well, after Blood Fruit. So there's your Friday setup. Yeah, don't be going out. At the end of the month. Go see no. documentaries. In honour of this documentary season at the IFI and documentaries in general. Uh, and was it this September? Month yeah, this or September is it the of October? Sight and Sound magazine. Yeah, had a hundred, the greatest hundred documentaries that you should see. So we're going to pick two documentaries that myself and Nigel have never seen and watch them in this watch for spool. Yeah, we're not really sure, but we'll work out that. Like, there's a lot in here that no one really paid much attention to or that you won't have heard of. Sorry, not that, that they people won't have paid much attention to in a mainstream audience way. So, like, the top ten is Man with a Movie Camera, um, Shoah, San Solai, Night and Fog, The Thin Blue Line, which we've heard of, and Chronicle of a Summer. Nanook of the North is very famous. The first ever documentary. Um, Don't Look Back, the Bob Dylan one. Yeah. Grey Garden. So, Take yeah, like stuff, one. Like, stuff like Man with a Movie Camera and uh, I think Night and Fog is kind of stuff that I haven't really concentrated on much yeah. since you do Maybe in college and film studies. It's but the first documentary. And it's one uh, of I will just look at a few clips of it, but we'll have a look <laughs> through these. Um, Hoop, we'll put a post up anyway yeah, you can watch Hoop, along with it. Hoop Dreams was a 1993 documentary about Oh, my friend Damien raves about that. And that's brilliant. By the guy who did um, the Ebert one. What's his name? Oh, it's on Netflix as well. So that might be a good one for us to watch. Steve James. So maybe Hoop Dreams and then uh, we'll pick something else out. Yeah, we'll have a post up in the next day or two. Yeah, so keep Just also in documentaries quickly. Um, on Netflix, it's only available on Netflix. I had a post about it uh, a week ago. Um, the Battered, Battered Bastards of Baseball is well worth checking out. I won't really say any more about it because it's kind of good to go in unknowing. But if you don't like baseball, it doesn't matter. I think this kind of has everything and you'll be... I defy you not to be moved by it. Yeah, it's part of the new series, Online Only, which looks at films that you can't see in the cinema. 
but that you have to find on the web. So to round up, I suppose, what we're looking forward to next month in film-wise, uh, I'm going to pick The Riot Club. It comes out on the 19th of September. Uh, you should check out the trailer for it. The director is Lone Scherfig. It's a female. Uh, female woman. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that name wrong. But she, a full human woman? Yep. Yeah, female human woman. She directed Wilbur Wants to Kill Himself from about 2002, which is a brilliantly odd film. I remember writing it from Extroversion and being like, oh, it's very sweet. And it cont- it's um, it's a club, the Riot Club, that's at Oxford University. It's kind of infamous and it's a bunch of rich, rich posh people who um, just oh. act the bollocks. What, uh, white people. Yeah. Pops. Looks good though, but I think it'll be a tough watch. Uh, people I used to say who like... A secret history and stuff like this kind of, you know, secret societies and clubs and, you know. There's it ties in with around Dublin, bit. though, like where um, we're in the teachers club on Parnell Street where only oh, teachers there can before. go. And yeah. You've got like different bars and stuff and you always feel like you're part of something Oh, the conservative special. club as well. Mm. There was a MGM there one time. Yeah. That was very strange. You feel part of some. Anyway. We um, should form a secret society. What day society. is that out? The 19th of September. Cool. Mine then is Anton Corbin's A Most Wanted Man. Uh, he is the very famous photographer and music video director. Has done too many things, um, but he's only done two features before Control, the uh, Ian Curtis Joy Division. Joy Division film, which is incredible, and The American, which is incredibly underrated that no one watched. George Looney, 2010. Producer Colin should watch it because don't know because it's good. But um, A Most Wanted Man is. Uh, it's a John le Carre adaptation, and it's got uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in it, old, old heroine Hoffman in there with the yeah. So it's what possibly. Uh, I thought there was God's another Pocket film. Was God's Pocket. Last well, film. this is a, the same thing with James Gandolfini. Like you get last role, yeah. last release role, Paul Walker as well. Like that, they they unfortunately the marketeers, if it's different studios, will all say, oh, one of the final, blah blah blah. So um. I th- have a feeling this is Philip Seymour Hoffman's very final uh, performance, but um, meant to be fantastic and can't wait for it. Press screened a couple of weeks ago, heard very good things and uh, certified 91% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, whatever that means. Brilliant. Probably not what that means, but does stand for anything. Um, anyway, speaking of actors who left us far too soon, you have a topical... Yeah, our uh, scene from this month is going to be... Uh, it ties in with our education theme. It's from Dead Poets Society. Robin Williams committed suicide about a week ago now, or two weeks ago. Very sad um, and sudden unsuspecting. So here's a scene from one of his well-known films where he's more serious. Less of his comic lampooning yeah. in Dead look Poets at, Society. Look for the Robin Williams tribute from the Emmys as well. Billy Crystal did it. Yeah. It was very good. It's very yeah. sweet. Oh, well, so we'll see next end, month. Sorry to end on a downer, but um, education. Yeah. No grades at stake, gentlemen. Just take a stroll. There it is. See him thinking, is this right? It might be right, it might be right. I know that. Maybe not, I don't know. Mr. Overstreet, 
driven by a deeper force. Yes. We know that. All right. Now, I didn't bring them up here to ridicule them. I brought them up here to illustrate the point of conformity, the difficulty in maintaining your own beliefs in the face of others. Now, those of you, I see the look in your eyes like, I would have walked differently. Well, ask yourselves why you are clapping. And we all have a great need for acceptance. But you must trust that your beliefs are unique, your own, even though others may think them odd or unpopular, even though the herd may go, that's bad. <laughs> Robert Frost said, two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. And I want you to find your own walk right now, your own way of striding, pacing, any direction, anything you want, whether it's proud, whether it's silly, anything. Gentlemen, the courtyard is yours. Thank <laughs> you.